Welcome to a special Mother's Day edition of Dayspring. Hello, everybody. I'm Joe Alcorn, your program host. Well, today we have a special live presentation of a Mother's Day message delivered by Rex Bullock in a church service setting. It's called The Shunammite Woman, a Model Mother. Also, it's our privilege today to invite again to this microphone Dr. Erwin Lutzer, pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago and author of the book Seven Snares of the Enemy. Many good people get caught up in these snares, even Christians. Well, Rex and Dr. Luther are standing by right now to discuss it. Rex? Thank you so much, Joe. And uh, once again, today, I have the privilege of having with me Dr. Erwin Lutzer, Senior Pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Lutzer, I well recall in my growing up years, which... Uh, seems like a lot of years ago now, listening to songs in the night. And, uh, of course, there were various uh, pastors. Uh, I remember uh, a couple of different ones, including Warren Wiersey. But then across the years, I've gotten the chance to listen to you and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it's such a joy to have you with us. Well, I am so happy to be with you, Rex. And, of course, I had the awesome privilege of being able to step into ministry uh, I inherited the program Songs in the Night, which came to Moody Church, I think, under Dr. Wiersbe's ministry, or I should say Dr. Sweeting's ministry right. back in the 60s. And uh, also we have Running to Win, which is a daily program, as well as the Moody Church Hour. So I want to greet all of your listeners, and uh, thank you so much for your partnership. Well, you can see that uh, Dr. Lutzer is thoroughly involved in radio as well as writing, having written over 20 books. We've been talking about Seven Snares of the Enemy, and uh, he deals with some of the most pertinent issues that uh, we're facing today. We talked about greed last week, but uh, tell me about addictions. What are some of the snares? Well, you know, one of the things I deal with in the book is alcoholism and uh, gambling and pornography and things like this, but... The thing that I try to show is, why doesn't an addict just simply walk away? Say, hey, this is destructive, I feel guilty, I'm dishonoring God. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says that the chains of sin, the cords of sin, hold people bound. What are those cords of sin? Well, a number of them come to mind. One of them that we have to always keep in mind is that addictions make the same promises that God does. Because God says, I'll be with you all the time. I'll meet your needs. Addiction says, I found a way to meet my needs other than going to God, and I'll have my needs met, and this is, you know, best for me. So what happens actually is this, that to an addict, he lives in two worlds. He lives in the world of reality, and he lives in the world of fantasy and his addiction, and he can move between one world and the other so deftly that many people can't tell when he's switching from one to the other. And as a result of that, this world promises euphoria. We'll never understand an addict unless we understand the fact that there's a sense of euphoria, a mood change, the rapid heartbeat, the excitement, the enticement. Uh, you know, you find someone, for example, who is looking through the windows of their neighbor's house and how his heart will beat rapidly for hours just anticipating that he might see some uh, lady undress or whatever. And And what happens is this sense of escape and euphoria holds such a strong, uh, what shall we say, such a strong cord that he can't let go of it. Now, here's the other problem, though. Because sin never keeps its promises, 
he becomes more involved, there's more guilt, there's more emptiness, and so forth. So what does he do to fill the guilt and the emptiness, but continue on filling mm-hmm. his life with the addiction? So the alcoholic begins to drink to solve problems that his addiction to drink caused. So on and on the cycle goes mm-hmm. until the person has to be brought to reality. And uh, in the book I talk about the fact that not only do people eventually bottom out, but also families can help those who are in need like that uh, so that uh, we can help those who are addicts before uh, you know, they absolutely, totally hit some kind of a disastrous bottom. Well, today we have had the uh, privilege of having Dr. Erwin Lutzer. I want you to get a copy of Seven Snares of the Enemy. Joe Alcorn's going to tell you how you can receive your copy, but uh, make sure that you communicate with us today and uh, let's put it in your hands. We'll be back with Dr. Lutzer next week. Thank you, Rex, and thank you, Dr. Lutzer. I'm very happy to give our listeners our address so they can order their own personal copy of Seven Snares of the Enemy. Our address is Dayspring, Post Office Box 56300, Portland, Oregon 97238. That's P.O. Box 56300, Portland, Oregon 97238. To order by telephone, dial toll-free 1-800-783-DAYS, 1-800-783-DAYS. This is an excellent book for your own personal reading or to share. And as you request it, my friend, please, would you share a financial gift for the ongoing ministry of Dayspring? Thank you very much. And now, let's go to the live service where Rex is ready to deliver his message on the model mother. I don't know if any of you had time to read this morning a front page article in the Kansas City Star about uh, the mother here in Kansas City who has 16 children. Uh, And I can see already, some of you just... Yeah, I did the same thing. Uh, 16 kids. She actually had 17. And uh, one of them died in infancy. And I thought, this poor woman. Absolutely. (laughs) I can't imagine. But I read on. She doesn't feel that way. Um, Though... In a period in her life, she is, was pregnant for over 57 months. Can you imagine that? Seems hard to believe. But of the 16 children today, all of the older ones, and by the way, the oldest is 39, the youngest is 16. She still has two at home. The older ones, every one of them, have come through college. Four of them have their PhDs. It's pretty incredible. She told a lot about... Her family, her husband is a lawyer, have a very strong, strong faith that she imbued within those kids, and she, she told about it. But in it all, the values, the strong, godly character that was there, and I couldn't help but just praise God for that. Because whether one has one child or 16 or none, the kind of values represented there are so vital for this day. And here is a woman who, who had those kind of values, the Shunammite. What a powerful woman. Now, in the first part of our reading, you may have just picked up some things 
that, that you can't help but like. Uh, one thing, she was an extremely hospitable woman. I mean, the prophet of God would pass by periodically. She'd invite him in for a meal. And she said to her husband, well, you know, this guy is, is so wonderful. And he's enjoyable to have around uh, for meals. Why don't we just, why don't we build him a room? Let's, let's build kind of a, a bedroom, a, an upstairs uh, apartment thing for it. And they did. And every time Elisha would pass, he'd stay there. This woman had obviously the gift of hospitality. Uh, another thing about her, she was perceptive. And over in the 8th and ninth verses, you can read, said, uh, she said to her husband, I know that this man who comes often our way is a holy man of God. She perceived that here was a good and godly man. She had some spiritual insight, some perception. She, her radar system was working pretty good when it came to understanding the right and the wrong kind of people. But I really want to go deeper. Those are kind of the obvious things that you find in this passage, but let me just go a little bit deeper as we look at this woman. And um, there were some qualities about her that I want in my life, and I'm not a mom, but I, there's just some things about her that, that I think are, are helpful to us all, especially as we honor mothers today. A very tragic situation comes into her life after the miraculous birth, and we read about it. You know, she's uh, perhaps older in life, doesn't think she can have a child. She has this wish, and one day the prophet who is so bowled over by her hospitality and kindness, is there anything that I can grant you? And finally she says, yes, I'd like to have a child. And he said, well, next year at this time you're going to have one. And I don't, you know, the, the, the implication is that she was startled and may not have even fully believed, but nonetheless it did happen, and she has this beautiful little boy. He grows. His father works in the field, and one day that child went out to where his dad was working in the field and uh, had sunstroke or something hits him, and uh, the servant takes that child and hurries back to the boy's mother as his father has instructed, and when he gets there, he's evidently pretty limp, and the mother takes him up in her arms and holds him until noon, and he dies. Tragedy has come into this woman's life. After all these dreams, after all her hopes, after all that she's done, and now, just a, just a seemingly very hopeless situation. But I want you to look at some of the character qualities about this woman. Very quickly, look at verse 20 and 21. It says here that after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. The first thing that I see in this is that she recognized the problem. 
she recognized that her son was dead. Now, obviously, she saw that her boy was lifeless, and she lays him on the prophet's couch up in that apartment. But let me make a little bit of a spiritual application here for you, if I may. You know, for mothers and fathers, I think it's vitally important that we be able to understand and perceive our children's real situation in life, that we see that they are individuals who need God, that they, they are flesh and blood, and that we discern the reality of where they are, the spiritual reality, not just kind of make-believe and think that, oh, some day in time, you know, hey, hopefully this kid's going to going to grow up and uh, maybe if we make sure that he has uh, Air Jordans and that if he wears, uh, you know, the right kind of shirts and uh, does all the good stuff and we, pro- we provide him with all the material things that someday he will make it. Listen, this mother understood this child's condition in reality. He was physically dead. She recognized it for what it was. Spiritually, she was very perceptive. She knew that this child had a need that there was going to be no other solution to unless there was direct divine intervention. And I tell you, moms and dads, for all of us, I think we have to recognize that these little ones or as in the case of others of us who have some that aren't so little anymore, it's going to take God to intervene in their lives. It's going to take God. And we need to be spiritually perceptive. We need to understand their real conditions. Now, the second thing that you find in in verse 21 also uh, is this. She exposed him to all the godly influences at her disposal. It says that she took him up to the prophet's room and she laid him right there. Now, no doubt, when Elisha came through Shunem on his way to other places and stayed in the prophet's chamber, she wanted that boy around him. She wanted that child to be around this man of God. By the way, do we expose our family to good things, to good influences, to good people, to the right kind of influences? I can tell you there's plenty of trash out there without deliberately eating them to that. They're going to, that's just there. You know? I mean, all you have to do is channel surf for about 15 seconds and you see the trashy influences that are there. And every kind of other influence is there. But, Do you want for your child or children, for them to be be around good kind of people and good kind of influence? She did. I think when when Elisha came to Shunem, she she undoubtedly wanted him there, wanted him as close as, as she could. And now she takes him into the place where she believes there's, if there's to be any hope, if there's to be any help, it's a, she could have laid in the bedroom 
She could have taken him somewhere else. You know what? She takes him to where she sees there's only one real hope, and she knows, she knows, and that's from God. She takes him to the prophet's chamber. Well, the 22nd verse, she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. You know what? She was gripped with a sense of urgency about her child. In this instance, she didn't, she didn't wait. She ran to them. She got there as quick as she could. Once again, as we're just spiritualizing this lesson, let me mention to you, unless you and I have a sense of urgency, mom, mom unless you have a sense of urgency, dad also, the chances are great that our, fam our families will not be one. It's got to be something that, uh, that we carry with us. And in this instance, do it quickly. You know, when you begin to look at, at great people who have made tremendous marks for God across the centuries, you look at their history, look at their families, do you know that for many of them, many of them, it started very, very early because of the urgency of a parent, in most cases a mother, who had that kind of urgency to lead that child to the Lord, to bring him or her very early to the things of God? Well, she was gripped by a sense of urgency. Go down to verse 23. Her husband said, why are you going to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. And you know what she said? She said, it's all right. It's all right. If you're reading from a King James text, she said, it, it's going to be well. It'll be well. It's going to be all right. It'll be all right. You know what? She had a positive faith. She believed that the answer to this boy's problem lay in getting him to Elisha. If I can do it, if I can get him to this man of God, it's going to be all right. She had faith to believe that. How about your faith? How about your faith this morning? Do you have a positive faith? Do you believe the answers to life's problems are to be found in the world around us? Or do you believe the answers to life's problems are to be found in Christ and Christ alone? Huh? And that's for all of us. And listen, mom and dad, if it's good enough for you and me, if it's important for us, if we see the value of it, it's extremely important for these that God has allowed us to have in our homes. Oh, how valuable. And all of this I can say because I... I am a product of that. I don't want to make too much of it this morning. I'll just have to tell you. That's the kind of home that I had with parents who understood how important it was. At times, they may, they may have seemed a little extreme, certainly by today's standards we probably look back and say some of the things that they did but i lay all of that aside and i say you know what they had this sense of urgency they had this positive faith that wanted to bring me to god and i am here today i i stand before you today in large part 
because of a mother who had a very positive faith. Wow. Okay. Go down to verse 26. Verse 26 says this. Uh, when the man of God saw her in the distance, uh, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And you know what she said? Everything is all right. Once again, if you're reading from... King James text that just says it's all well it's all well you know I would just say this and you may think that I'm maybe extrapolating a little bit and uh, enlarging on this text but there seems to be a rather clear indication to me that that uh, her conscience was, conscience was that she was pretty open she, she not only understood that it was here that there was hope for her and her son, but when the man of God asks her, what the problem, problem, obviously you and I know, and she knew that she has a dead child. But beyond that, she is able to say to him, all is well with my own soul. All is well. I'm coming to you out of a sense of faith and a sense of urgency here because I know that God wants to meet a need. All is well. Uh, I think that uh, she doesn't have a lot of straightening up to do in her own life. She's, she's to where she's spiritually in tune. And I love this in verse 30. I love this. You know, Elisha said to Gehazi, he, I mean, after Elisha perceived the problem, he said, to his, he said to his servant, here, take my staff, and you run as hard as you can. Don't stop. Don't greet anybody. Don't let anybody get you sidetracked. You get there, and you lay this staff on this boy's face. Now, Gehazi believed with all his heart that by doing that, that that child would uh, be resurrected. He's the prophet of God. But that mother, you know what? She, she, she said, hey, I'm going to lay hold on you, Elisha. You're not going to get out of this. You're going back. You're going to be there. I don't want just Gehazi. I don't want just your staff. I want you to go, and I'm going with you. <laughs> She was not willing to accept any substitutes. Isn't that powerful? I mean, she refused to accept any kind of substitute. She's going to have nothing but Elisha. She's going to, not going to have anything but the real thing. A lot of substitutes out here. A lot of substitutes. Substitutes. You can put your kids under a lot of different kinds and say, well, that's all good. That's great. You know, hey, man, if I can just make sure they're in the right school, the right education, have the right stuff, and we live in the right home, 
we drive the right kind of automobiles, and if we can, if we can turn on Christian radio or watch Channel 50 every now and then, or if we can, if we can some way or another, hey, all of those are good. But there's no substitute for making sure that they have the right one in their life. Amen. Getting them to the right source, the right person, and saying, hey, I'm going to make sure that they have God in their lives, that they know Jesus Christ in his fullness. This is God's great woman. I love her. You know what? Elisha went. Gehazi wouldn't die, wasn't good enough. The staff wasn't good enough. He treks back there with this shunamite. He goes into that upper chamber, stretches himself out on that boy. Eyeball to eyeball, it says. I mean, pretty soon, warmth begins to come, but that, that still wasn't good enough. Does it again. And this boy starts sneezing about seven times. Life starts to come around. Amen? <laughs> you can take a lot. There's a little, make any kind of symbolism you want in that. But to me, the essence of it is this. Elisha went. The real article. The real person. And when he did, God honored it. Brought that boy to life. And out of a tragedy, what looked like a tragedy... God brought something wonderful to a woman who was a woman of faith, a woman of urgency, a woman who wouldn't accept any substitute, a woman who knew exactly what her son needed, and she wouldn't quit until it happened. And I say, what an example, what a lesson for all of us, moms or dads, this morning. I pray that God will make us God's great person like the Shunammite. Thank you, Rex. Say, listening friend, I hope you'll take the time this weekend to honor your mother or a mother. The time spent is exceedingly rewarding for both you and the one you honor. Also, our visit with Dr. Erwin Lutzer will continue next week as he deals with yet another snare of the enemy. Please order your copy of Seven Snares of the Enemy by Dr. Lutzer. Our address is Post Office Box 56300. Portland, Oregon, 97238. That's P.O. Box 56300, Portland, Oregon, 97238. Or call toll-free. The number is 1-800-783-DAYS, 1-800-783-DAYS. Well, listening friend, have a happy Mother's Day, and join us again next week at this same time for Dayspring. We are-